new here today, the kids are dismissed to Lift Kids Church. And so will you go back through those back doors, walk them down the hall, just follow the, uh, the army, the future army right there, running to hear about Jesus. Amen. It's a little, oh, there's the lights. I was like, it's a little dark in here. Felt like I was at a theater. All right. So if you're just joining us here today, you should have a um, worship guide. And on there is a picture of Gulliver's Travels. You see it up there on the overhead as well. Travels into several remote nations of the world in four parts. And I thought, what a great series title. Here's uh, back in the day, uh, Gulliver went around and he was taking trips around the world and recording it for us to see. And so did Paul. And so here's our series overview, Paul's Travels, where it's divided into four major parts. In the last part of Acts, you had Acts 1 through 7, primarily in Jerusalem. Uh, 8 through 12 is in Judea and Samaria. And Paul takes over here in Luke's writing, 13 through 28, his first missionary journey. We end that today, 13, 1 through 15, 35. Next week, we'll start his second missionary journey, then his third. And then Paul goes on trial and he is in prison. And so what I want to do today is something that some of you may have done when you were kids. Please do not be frightened. Um, We are not going back to um, high liturgy, but it is good for us to do this sometime. I'm not even going to make you stand. I have actually changed the words of this creed a tad bit because I can. It is not Holy Scripture. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to read the Apostles' Creed. We're going to read the Apostles' Creed. I will lead, follow along with me. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. (laughs) There it is. What happened here? Why is mine not going? There we go. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And so we read that, and I can change it from I to we, because that is not Holy Scripture. And I can leave out the part about he descended into hell because there are good people on both sides who would argue against that and we don't want to read it and cause somebody to stumble. Uh, I do need to explain there the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic means universal. doesn't mean the Catholic Church. As Some of you may have grown up and known it, but you may have read that creed and you may be going, where are we going? Why is he doing this? <laughs> because we don't do that much. And so we, we need to read these time and again to, to understand where our faith uh, has come from. It is grounded in the scriptures, but along the way, there are several times there are counsels that help us in our faith. There are counsels that help us with the Trinity. And where did those come from? They come from Acts 15, 1 through 35. We're going to see the counsel in the first 21 verses, and you're going to see the creed sent out in a letter in the last 22 Uh, 22 through 35. And so the overview of that first section, you're going to see the issue that comes up. 
You're going to see the discussion that they had at a local level. That's actually in the first five verses. But on a regional level, national, world level, whatever you want to call it, the discussion because of the issue. And then they come to a solution. And so we'll begin here in chapter 15, verse 1, after I pray. Father, thank you for the Apostles' Creed. Thank you for the Nicene Creed. Thank you for the Council of Chalcedon. Thank you for the Chicago uh, Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. And Lord, we should probably come up with a few more in today's day and age so that the true, authentic, Bible-believing Christian church knows where they stand on certain issues. We thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for those who have gone before us and and wrestled and solidified in words things that only attest to the scriptures. And I pray as we see where would we get reason to do that today in Acts 15, people would be encouraged to look at our historic faith. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so starting in verse 1 of chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea, that is, while they were still remaining in Antioch, and were teaching the brothers. Here's what they were teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem, to the apostles, and to the elders about this question. The question being, do you need to be circumcised to be saved? Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the Gentiles. And notice, they brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, and here even at a national level, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so here you get in these first five verses the issue at hand. And the issue is very clear if you look at verse 1 and verse 5. Does one have to be circumcised to be saved? And if you reread verse 2, you don't need to go there, I'll reread it. There was no small dissension and debate. There was great debate over this issue, and rightly so. There was great debate debate locally, right, here in 1 through 5, and we're going to see it on a national level. Call this the primaries, if you will. And so debates among Christians, in-house discussions is nothing new. However, many of us have been raised in a culture where they see two ways of conflict. They see conflict on one side at all cost, and then they see this idea of there should never, ever, ever be any conflict. Let's just avoid it. Let's make that pile under the rug a little bigger. But that is not the gospel way. It is never conflict at all cost, and it's never just ignoring conflict because we don't want to deal with the big issues. The gospel way is peacemaking. On a, na- on a worldwide level, what do Christians believe? On a n- national level, on a, what I would say, church-by-church church level, and on individual levels. Those are the levels that we can have and should have on certain things, conflict. And if you'll notice, in verse 3, they had great joy. As, they, as Paul and Barnabas were heading to this national council where they were going to decide on this particular issue, They were sharing the gospel, and there was great joy. Another thing that people think is those who are always involved in conflict or those who wrestle 
uh, with theological issues are always angry people and couldn't you just talk about something more? I mean, let's just go love people. Well, I, I'm really glad in 325 and 381 and 451 and in, 19, in the 70s, I don't know the date, that men and women got together and they hammered this stuff out and they talked about it and they disagreed and they came to some final solutions. There can be joy when we're involved in debate people who, who think debate is, is wrong, they miss that aspect of it, but it's right there in the scriptures for you to see. And here's the key issue. They went to the people who could make decisions. They just didn't stay there um, in Antioch and they just argue amongst themselves. They said, hey, this is a big issue. Let's take it to Jerusalem. Let's figure it out. And so earlier I had been read to you Galatians 2, 1 through 10, because many, many believe that uh, either that took place right here uh, in, in time, in Acts, in Acts 15, or it could have been in eleven twenty nine through 30. There's, there's some discussion on it. Either way, it is a good time to look at Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we're not going to go there. I'm just going to read to you the first couple verses, and then I'm going to give you an outline of the book because it deals with the issue they're facing here at Acts 15. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul captures the gospel right there in those first five verses. And if you were here last week, if you remember that map, those were the churches of Galatia. There wasn't just a church of Galatia. There were churches and they were spread throughout Derby, Lystra. And so Paul wanted to write to them because he had heard, if you were to go on in the first chapter, he had heard they were deserting the gospel for something different. And they were, they were some were holding to gospel plus. Here, Jesus, who was delivered for us from this present evil age, we believed in him, but you've got to be circumcised and follow the ways of Moses or to keep the law of Moses. And so notice the outline of Galatians shows us where Paul spent most of his time. In the outline of Galatians, you see chapter 1, the gospel is experienced, and it's a, a wonderful little section on Paul and how he come to, came to know the Lord. And he said, look, this didn't happen by my volition. It didn't happen because uh, of man's volition. This happened because a revelation of Jesus Christ was given to me. And it's the same thing that happened to all of us, whether you were reading your Bible and God used the Holy Scriptures as he can through the power of the Holy Spirit, or it was that one time where, it, where the power of the Holy Spirit in your regenerated heart, you understood and you said, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is the one. That is the gospel experience. But he spends chapters 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, half of his book on the gospel needs to be defended. And where Ben read that, Paul and Barnabas go up, and they, they went against the pillars because they were going to make sure, is what we're hearing true coming out of Jerusalem? And then in 5 and 6, you see the gospel displayed. Not only is it to be defended... And to be believed upon in its essence, but we must live this out, and people should see in a classic passage in that letter, the fruits of the Spirit. And so that is the gospel, uh, that is the, the book of Galatians in a nutshell, and it fits right within here because this is what they're talking about. 
are we going to allow legalism at the early stages of the church? Are we going to allow this adding to the gospel to come in? Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. Those who could make the decisions came together. And after there had been much debate, so these are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're debating this, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's Acts 10. When Cornelius heard the truth, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us, What was it? The Holy Spirit had come upon those in Jerusalem. And when Peter goes out, the same Holy Spirit went to them. And you're going to see the same thing in Acts 19. It's the same Holy Spirit in 2, 10, and 19. It's the same Holy Spirit that you and I have within us today. Just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. It is God who cleans your heart. You and I cannot clean ourselves up. There's no uh, soap in the world where you, you spend all this time and you say, I finally got to the point. I've washed off the cussing. I've washed off the drinking. I've washed off the womanizing. No, it is God who cleans your heart by faith. There are so many people today who won't come to Jesus. They say, I'm just not good enough. You're right. That is an accurate statement. But he Come, as you sang, if you were with me, as a youth in the Baptist church, come just as you are. Now, the point is, he will not keep you there, but you're to come just as you are. And it's God who will clean your heart by faith. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 10, now, therefore, why are you, speaking to those who would bring up this idea that some had to be, saved, and then follow the law. Why are you putting God to test? This is not an issue that you place. You're putting God to test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither the fathers nor we have been able to bear. We don't even keep this. You guys are hypocrites. You don't even do this. Why are you placing this yoke on them? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Why then are you adding this yoke to what God has done. Jesus invites us to his yoke. We don't get to add yokes. The classic passage is this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. You see it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. There is a yoke. And that's what we're going to talk about today because many people think, hey, I've accepted the Lord. There's no yokes on me. Oh, there is. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So there is a yoke in the Christian life. Don't miss that. But they were laying something besides the yoke of Jesus on them. They were laying this law of Moses on them. And notice you'll see in these verses, 6 through 11, that there was more public debate. and it was, There was much debate. But Peter humbly appeals, hey guys, we don't even keep all this. And he appeals to his experience. And you'll see here he's going to appeal to the canon, or at least James will, and they'll put that together. And conclusions are drawn. This isn't a, hey, let's just agree to disagree and go away from here. We don't want to cause a ruckus. Uh, 
you know, let's come to some weird middle ground. They didn't do that. Often that's what tries to happen in the church. We, let's, come to, let's, let's, let's come to a compromise and we'll take the best of both. And they said, no, this is wrong and we can't do this. Verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And so here's a large Jewish population at this council. Paul and Barnabas said, hey, we've gone out. We've preached the gospel. God's been with us. He's attested to our message. And people have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, and after they had finished speaking, James, this is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the letter of James. James stands up. He's, by tradition, the leader of the Jerusalem church. And here's what he says. Brothers, listen to me. And he's going to appeal to to two things. He's going to appeal to people's personal testimonies, and he's going to appeal to the scriptures. Sound any different to what we do today? Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. That God, notice the, the glory is all going to God. It didn't, here's what he didn't say. This could have been written in a different Bible that would have been errant. Simon went out and he was this awesome preacher. Magnificent. And that's not what they said. And he did these great things. Simon this and Simon that. But they didn't say that. And so Peter had gone out. And and with his words, the words of the prophets agree. So here's what he said. Now what does, does what he says attest to Scripture? And so he quotes to them. Maybe they had their scrolls open. Maybe he pointed it to them. I wonder what that would have been like when they had gathered together. I mean, was there coffee there? Were they, where, how did they, how did they sit? What was going on there? That's, it would have been interesting to me to be there. What, what's going on? I mean, you're in there. You're with Peter. You're with Paul. You're Barnabas. You got James. Wow. And he says, hey, look, just as it is written. Now, again, I don't know if he's just quoting this, if he points them to this. Amos 9, 11, and 12, Jeremiah 12, 15. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it. Notice who's doing the work here. God. I will return. I will rebuild. I will restore. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. What Peter has said matches up with Scripture. This is how you make decisions. This is how we make decisions. What somebody says matches up with Scripture. Or it matches up with a biblical principle. And so in 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Basically he's saying we should not lay on them the law of Moses. Now, If I were writing the Bible, I would have kind of stopped there because that would have been really clear and we could have moved on. But I'm not writing the Bible. I'm merely reading it and showing it to you. And James adds this. What? (laughs) But we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) Is this gospel plus? No. And see, I wouldn't want it in there because I'm not smart. But James is smart. He says in verse 21, For from ancient generations, 
Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. What is going on here? James says in verse 19, absolutely no additions. Let's not trouble them. It is salvation through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? But then in 20, he has some what we'll call restrictions. These aren't additions to the gospel. These are standards. And let me read a note from a study Bible that I think is helpful. James finds support in the scriptures and in the testimonies of Simon Peter, Barnabas, and Paul that God wants the Gentiles to be free from the ceremonial law and the demands of the Judaizers. He proposes that both Jews and Gentiles practice moderation. The Jewish Christians are to recognize that Gentiles are not bound by Jewish ceremonial law. The Gentile believers must consider the scruples of Jewish Christians and not offend them by eating food sacrificed to idols, meat strangled, uh, meat strangled animals, or blood. The inclusion uh, of which he says in these four practices was to separate them from pagan worship. What's going on here? What James is saying is we are not going to hold you to Jewish ceremonial laws. That is unbiblical. All the promises of God find their answer in Jesus. The law has been fulfilled. You do not have to keep the law. But you're living in a culture. You're living in a culture that this could be really confusing and really offensive. And so he says, hey, don't partake in all these things. If you go to read the commentaries, all these four things, pollute, things polluted by idols, sexual immorality. This sexual immorality of this time was not just rampant sexual immorality that we see. This was involved in cultic worship at a temple. What has been strangled and from blood. So he's saying, what we're asking you to do is not get involved with this worship and these things that were, were seen as worshipful in those particular cultures. Why? And it's settled in 21 because we want to be able to preach this good news and not have any offense that comes with the gospel. Here's the point. There is absolutely no conditions to your salvation. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen? But that doesn't mean we aren't culturally sensitive to certain issues. I think the key one today would be this. Do and, and where we live. You know, it's so funny. When, I, when I, people come from out of town, you know what the first thing they talk about? They don't talk about, man, you guys live in one of the prettiest places on the planet. Look at those mountains. That's not what they're talking about. Some of you are smiling. You know what they talk about? The first thing they do, you're from Colorado? Oh, can you smoke pot? It's a bigger, it's bigger. Colorado's bigger than that. We got the Broncos, the Rockies. <laughs> We got Eagle Bible Church. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. If you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Amen? And if, I, if it were me, and it is me, and we've put it out on our table, we don't believe you should smoke pot. Are we adding to the gospel? No, we're just saying in this culture, probably ought not to do that. We could give our reasons and go on, and, but you see here, he didn't give his reasons. He assumed the people understand. And I would assume if I said that, you would understand. 
And so this is James who took testimony and then it matched up with Scripture. And he said, nothing is added to the gospel, but that doesn't mean we have some standards or requirements. Again, for us on an on a overall church level, church universal level, and the levels below that. I had a guy come up to me today. He's a, one of the most gentle guys I know. He said, hey, I was putting together something for the soundboard and I, and I just, you know, was wanting to have a little pre-rex, but I don't want anyone to think that we're adding standards. I'm like, dude, put them on there. <laughs> we need standards on soundboard. You don't want me back there because my hearing's not good. I can't sing well, so I could hear some screeching and go, that is awesome. It's great. You don't want me there. And so it is okay at, at multiple levels to have different standards. We get so confused in this issue. We, we think, when you come, you have those who come, well, I, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that would be legalism. And then you come, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, license, I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. Neither. Neither legalism, we're not adding anything to salvation, nor license. We don't just roam free without some set of standard, and that's what James was getting at. You know why I think it's good that we talk about James now? Because what is his book? This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, and James has a book. And so what he was doing in this creed that he was putting together is he was wanting to show you it's faith alone, but faith without works is dead. So also by faith, if it does not have any works, is dead. Verse 18 goes on to say this. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. That doesn't mean I will work for my faith. It just means here's my belief and it's going to be lived out. That's all he was getting at in those four restrictions. And so James, it's a good time to show you his book. He is one about let us see what you believe. And we did this a few years back. If you remember, this was a wonderful book to teach through. Biblical faith works. That's kind of the the middle of the book. And I think from that are these tributaries, biblical faith works and trials. You want to see if, you're, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and, you, and you, believe, you truly believe the Gospels? What comes out of your mouth during trials? What comes to you when temptations come? What comes to you in your practice of your faith? Do you, is it merely just a faith you, you give lip service to or can people see it? Uh, do people see it when it's lived out without prejudice? I remember when we were teaching through the uh, first part of the book of Acts, people were like, why is he making such a big deal about having Mickey Barros up there? I mean, he's Ethiopian and all that, Mike. Because it's so cool that we have an Ethiopian in our congregation, right, when we're teaching on the Ethiopian eunuch, so I'm going to have him read the scriptures. There he is. Because we're all together here. It doesn't show prejudice. Amen? People are like, why are you making such a big deal of that? Because I think it's neat that we're actually living out the scriptures right here at Eagle Bible Church. And biblical faith works. It works to guard our mouths. Let not many of you be teachers. You'll be held to a stricter judgment. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not be. It should guide our motives. No selfish ambition. For in selfish ambition exists, there's nothing but worldliness. To prevail over our pride. Why are there fights and quarrels? Now, these aren't debates. These are fights and quarrels. Why are these among you? Because you have these two desires. You ask and you do not receive because you don't ask with right motives. Biblical faith works to prevail over that. It argues against our arrogance. Come now, you who say you're going to plan and do this. If you don't plan according to the scriptures, if you don't plan with a biblical perspective, you're in sin. That's what it says in 417. And biblical faith works to support the suffering, the sick, and the sinner. If anyone turns back a sinner, 
that you go and you see somebody wandering and you help their help them get back on the right track. There's nothing greater. If you want to if you want it to be in something that's exciting, you want to you want to live a life that's exciting, you go and you walk with people going through struggle and pain and you watch how the Holy Spirit through the power of the word turns them back and you live out exactly what James says. You see it in the end of his book. I don't have it up there. My brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death death, and cover a multitude of sins. Does that mean uh, we saved him? No, the bigger context is you get to be a part of watching God turn somebody's soul back to him, and it's wonderful. Are there any pluses to the gospel? No. Does then holding to the gospel mean we are without requirements? Absolutely not. And so that is the council. And so they got together and they did. And then you'll see here in verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church. So they gathered together, they debated, they worked it out. Again, I really wish I would have been there just to see what was the interaction. And then the whole church to choose men from among them to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading them among the brothers with the following letter. And what I love about this in verse 23 through 29 is you see within Scripture a letter similar to the letters you see as Scripture. And so this, this is kind of a model. You're going you're to say, wow, that sounds a lot like Paul. Yeah, because that's how they wrote letters at that time. And I believe this letter is the creed that those churches held to, to which Paul, when he's writing his future's letters, would go back to this. And he would go back to the Old Testament. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, there's your author, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. There's the audience. Greetings. There's the affirmation. Sounds just like Paul. Here's the instruction. He's going to give the context of why they're writing. They're going to give their credibility, and then they're going to give a command. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us, so they had gone out from Jerusalem and troubled you down in Antioch and Syria with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. instructions. So they're saying, hey, they went out from us, but this is not coming from the Jerusalem church. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, this is through that great debate, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the the same things by word of mouth. Multiple testimonies by the two or three witnesses. You see it. You saw Peter, you saw Paul, and you saw Barnabas and James all together with the scripture saying, this is what we ought to do in here. Paul and Barnabas, Silas and Judas, they go out and everybody's speaking the same thing. And here is the command 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that. They're still leaving it up all in God's hands to lay on you no greater burdens than these requirements. So you are not saved by grace and then following law, but that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols from blood from what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so you see an introduction, you see some instruction, and you see an inc- a conclusion. Wonderful little letter within a book that models the other letters of the New Testament. The Bible attests to itself. And so, being released from the law does not mean that we don't hold to certain requirements. 
And so in verse 30, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered together, they delivered the letter. And so here's this, here's this issue. It's discussed, it's decided upon, and now it's delivered. How are they going to receive it? And when they heard it, I love this. And when they heard it, they had all sorts of questions and they were arguing about it. And they were like, oh, I don't really believe. That's not what it says. They rejoice because of its encouragement. There were requirements and they considered it encouragement. Unbelievable. The minute I offer requirements, why do we have to do that? Well, it's a good practice. And when they had read it, they rejoiced. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brother with many words. And so they delivered the letter. Those received the letter with joy and they instructed them with many words. And after some time, they spent some time. They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. And so Judas and Silas leave, but Paul and Barnabas remain in 35 in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And so Paul goes here, we've got this creed, but I'm going to continue to teach you this. Well, really, at that time, he's going to continue to teach him this (laughs) and write this. And so you may be thinking, okay, that's good. That's what Acts 15 says. How does that relate to us? Well, let me just take you from Acts 15, sweep church history to today. Number one, they carried out the communication clearly and that it was encouraging the people and strengthened their faith. And so councils, we don't know about when exactly, some of you may know, I don't know, when exactly the date of the creed was or if it was written at any council, but we read together early the Apostles' Creed. One that came after that that is very important to you and I is called uh, the Nicene Council. Uh, You see the Nicene Council in 325. This is the Creed of Nicaea. And they debated and they landed on Jesus is divine. Can I get an amen? He's divine. Because there were some who were saying that he wasn't divine. There were some in the Arian controversy, who were saying, and they were wrestling with Scripture. This is, this is why it is very important to see that creeds are not negatives. They are positives because Arius was wrestling with Scripture. Colossians 1 says he's the firstborn of creation. Ergo, therefore, he can't be God. And so, no, Constantine, you did some good things here, and this was one of them. Get the bishops together in the Catholic Church, and they're going to form a creed. Here's what one pastor says. Is there a place for creeds in the church? I think they really have an important place, but they aren't to re- be a replacement for the Bible, and they shouldn't be given equal authority of the Bible. Rather, they are to be considered a faithful expression of the Bible. We need these faithful expressions of the Bible, both those written in our generation and preserved for our generation. I'm currently studying the battle surrounding the deity of Christ in the 3rd and 4th centuries, the Nicene Council, which involved Athanasius and his heretical opponent, Arius. What I'm learning is that the use of biblical language was a huge tactic for those who are departing from the truth. So they're using the Bible to go away from the truth. That means that you to say you are a Bible-only person might just mean you're a heretic. <laughs> in other words, people can use the Bible to avoid Uh, to justify those things. And so how do you avoid it? You come together, you crystallize, and you come up with creeds. 
some years later, the Council of Constantinople. Then you, you go from the Creed of Nicaea to the one that we hold to now, the Nicene Creed, because then there were some who say, well, he wasn't fully human. And then if you see the, the final one, that these are the big four, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene, the Creed of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed, odd names. And then you see the Council of Cal- uh, Chalcedon, and you see this Chalcedonian Creed that says, look, Jesus is both 100% fully God and 100% fully man. Amen? You hold to that. I hold to that. People ask us how. We say, I don't know, but the Bible tells me so. I and the Father in one. Jesus slept. Jesus wept. He, he's 100% both. He doesn't, he's not in different modes. He doesn't come as one for a little while. He, act, he physically actually died on the cross. He did not, he, although he was equal with God, he did not see his equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he came in the form of a human, in the form of a servant, and he died the death, the most grotesque death he could ever die, and he was resurrected so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. He is fully God. He is fully man. And that is why we have Christmas and that is why we have Easter. God became man. And this, this man, as Paul says in 1 Timothy, the man, Christ Jesus, is the mediator between us and God. Praise the Lord. And he went and did what I could not do, though what should have happened to me. And he died. And there's discussion. What happened in those three days? And that's where you get some in the Apostles' Creed say, he descended into hell or he descended upon the earth. Those are good discussions for different days, not today. And then he rose again and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And so we like creeds. Creeds are good. We've gotten away from creeds because we often associate them with high church or apostate church. But we're thankful that those folks wrestled with that because when we go to the Trinity, we give them verses, but we give them, we can point them to a creed that attests to those verses. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I'm going to stick right to the text. Read a creed. (laughs) Read a creed, right? You're thinking, that's kind of weird. Well, that's what, that's what they did. They sent a letter and they read it and they read, read a creed, rejoice in the Lord. If you should have a Bible like this, the Reformation Study Bible, they're in the back. That's all study Bibles have something that sets them apart. I love this one because this has the creeds of the faith in the back. And you, so you can read the Apostles' Creed. You can read the Nicene Creed. You could read the Chalcedonian Definition of Faith. You want to see where the Lutherans get their stuff? You can read the Heidelberg Catechism. You want to see where those who believe in Reformed theology? You can read the Canon of Dort. You can keep going through here. You want to see the Presbyterians? Westminster Confession of Faith, right there, all in the back of the little study Bible. You want to see the Baptists? They don't discriminate. They're showing it. The London, the 1689. You should love this over there, my friend. London Baptist Confession of Faith. And so in 1689, they came together and they formed this. If you're here today, raise your hand today if you believe that the Bible is inerrant. Oh, praise the Lord. That happened. We, we hold to the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. I wish I knew the date off the top. It happened not long ago, but we hold to that. Though you haven't read it, you were like, hi, I believe in inerrancy. Where do you get that? Well, uh, I, I just do because somebody taught me. Now you can say I do because somebody taught me the Bible says it, and let's go to the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy and read about it. <laughs> read a creed. And then don't just read it, but go, praise the Lord. 
He even worked through Constantine. He worked through Catholic bishops. He's worked through sinful men through the whole time to preserve not only his word, but good statements about his word. And if you're asking my opinion, I know you, I'm, I'm sure you're like, well, Judd, what's your opinion? I think we need to come up with some more creeds. In this day and age, if you think about it, think about the news, think about the media, we need to come up with another creed. What does the Bible have to say about manhood and womanhood? Some have started to do that in the Gospel Coalition. I think we need to come up with another one. This is, this is what we believe. We, univer- we Baptists, we Presbyterians, we Bible church people, we Charismatics, all of us would agree we're getting together, though we don't always agree on polity or how we carry out our faith. We all agree on this one issue. Amen? We should do it. Father, help us by the power of your word and through the Holy Spirit see the big picture and how creeds are good. Good creeds are good. Give us an appreciation for historic Christianity and those who, who put their, literally put their lives on the line to make sure that the faith was expressed well. I pray, Lord, as we go today that we would be men and women who understand the necessity and validity of creeds, not as a replacement of Scripture, but an expression of it. And help us to rejoice in you who primarily are described in those creeds. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We do believe. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.